It's good to be back, and I bring you greetings from Spain, where we did a feasibility study on the city of Malaga, and more importantly, the the training of that uh, feasibility study will now be available to quite a number of American pastors and churches who will be helping us to uh, do feasibility studies in the top 100 cities of the world where English international churches can be founded. So it was a very successful trip, very tiring. And uh, I tried a new airlines uh, this time, Italia Airlines. And if you are about 4 foot 10 and weigh 105 pounds, you fit, you fit quite nicely into all their seats. Uh, that did not happen for me, but uh, nevertheless, uh, God was gracious and we made it home, so it was good. It's good to see all of you this morning. The 1950s were quite a, quite a decade. In the 1950s, the first modern credit card was first introduced. Uh, the first organ transplant, uh, transplant took place. The first Peanuts cartoon was launched. Color TV was introduced. Car seat belts were introduced. Aren't you happy? The polio vaccine was created. DNA was discovered. The first atomic submarine was launched. Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile. Segregation was ruled illegal. Disneyland opened. McDonald's was founded. Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on the bus. Elvis gyrated on the Ed Sullivan Show. Grace Kelly married Prince Rainier III of Monaco. And one of the most invent creative inventions of all, the TV remote control was developed at that time. Velcro was introduced. The Soviet satellite Sputnik was launched into space. Hula hoops became popular. The sound of music opened on Broadway. Many more things, but those were just some. But I can remember in the 1952-53 era, when I was 9 or 10 years old, Ringling Brothers' Barnum & Bailey Circus was coming to Chicago. And there was going to be a parade. I was 9 or 10 at the time, and I can remember my dad taking me down to Michigan Avenue to see the parade because there was going to be a real star coming this year. Cisco the Kid and Pancho. Now, if you remember that, that dates you a bit. And if you even remember, oh, Cisco, oh, Pancho, you're even more dated. But I remember standing there on Michigan Avenue, watching as this parade was going by. Wow. I had come to see what was in store for me when we got under the big top. You see, the parade is kind of like a teaser, isn't it? Kind of gives you a little indication of what's coming. And it was. It was a marvelous parade. There were lions, tigers in, in cages, not on Michigan Avenue, but they were coming. There were fire eaters, guys swallowing swords, jugglers. And then, about three-quarters of the way through the parade, here comes Cisco. Boy, all the kids that were about eight, nine, my age, ten years old, cheering like crazy. Uh, that, was our, that was our man. I was so excited. And you know, the, 
parade was exactly what I expected. And when we got to the big top a day later, I was not disappointed. Everything that was in that parade was in the big top and more. It was exciting. Because you see, the reason for parades and possession, uh, processions is to let you know that something special is coming. The, for the circus, it's the big top. If it's a king that's coming, it's usually because of the feast and the party that's going to happen. If it's a president of a country, it's primarily what's going to happen later is the speech and all the promises. The parade says there's going to be something else. But what about Jesus? The crowd was there. What'd they think of the parade? What'd they think of the procession? If you have your Bibles, you might want to turn to Matthew 21. Let's plug in the first, in the first verses, our first narrative. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead and said, Go on into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you'll see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, The Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, Look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of them, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was at, in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who is, comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. My goodness, what a snapshot of Zechariah 9 9. If Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem, he himself probably intended an allusion to Zechariah. And why not? If Jesus both had read the Hebrew Bible and knew himself to be the descendant of David, then why not? More important, this narrative portrays Jesus as a king and defines the significance of his kingship because his kingship was going to be so different from worldly models of authority. And Jesus subverts the whole worldly understanding of kingship to suggest a reign of a different order. He had done that before. This was not something new. You remember the woman with the two mites? As she entered in and she drops her money, he says, this woman has given more than anyone else. You can hear the disciples running to his side and saying, Jesus, pure mathematics would tell you that you're wrong. Oh, yeah, if you're operating in this kingdom ethic, yeah, you are. Then I was wrong. But you see, I'm talking about my kingdom ethic. And she's given more. This was not unusual for him to say these kinds of things. This procession, this parade is less than average. Let's face it. He's on a donkey. The average world would watch this guy coming down and, and, and 
there's not any firefighters. There's no lions, no tigers. There's no sword swallowers. There's no guy. There's nobody on with a horse and you know with his saddle all decorated and full of baubles and beads and and boy, all the shining things. No spotlight on this guy. You might be interested in thinking that you know if you're watching this parade that you know whatever's coming under the big top isn't going to be all that sharp. That could run around in your mind. If it was a king, you'd think, you know, I think the feast might be a little skinny on the food today. If this was a president of a country, you might think, this speech is going to be less than average. He doesn't look like he's got a lot of power that he could put behind that speech and garner a crowd. You know, once you get to a circus area, and we did go that next day to the circus, and I was so excited, and we got inside the gates, and I found that not only was there a big top, there were little tops all over. And there were barkers yelling, come on in. It's just a dime. See this guy. See that guy. There was kind of a carnival going on around the side, and and, and the usual thing that he always said was, there's still time. There's still room. What we are faced with here is a lot of people watching this procession and possibly thinking there's not much to it. If this is the parade, then what in the world is going to be in the big top? And, and really, who cares if there's room for one more or there's time for one more guy to get in? This, isn't good. this looks pretty average to me. Well, I told you earlier that I'd returned from Spain, and i got to tell you, it's so great to be connected with people who are so excited about planting churches and seeing people come to Christ. It, it is just a phenomenal joy in this area of my life to, to do this and to be a part of this. It is so exciting to see this kind of ministry. And before we left, one of our pastors, Scott Rideout, who's pastor in Arizona, he pastors a very large church down there in the Phoenix area. And they have a number of campuses. And not too long ago, just maybe a couple months ago, they were having a, a baptismal service. And the way they do it in their church is that if you're interested in baptism, you, you, uh, you let the office know. And, and the office then asks you, would you like to come to a meeting so you can understand what you're about to do to follow the Lord in the waters of baptism. And this particular Sunday, it was not a great sign-up, but it was at the main campus. The main campus seats several thousand people, and they were there, and the, 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 the baptistry is kind of up on the stage for everybody to see, and, and uh, there were 15 that had signed up, but their tradition is that they open it up for anybody else that would like to maybe be baptized that night, as long as they understand what they're what they're, what they're agreeing to. And there were about ten more people that joined in that baptismal service, just getting out of the audience, coming up in their own clothes and were ready for it and walked into the baptistry and followed the Lord in the waters of baptism. The last person that came up was a young man who the church had been praying for for some time. He had gotten involved with uh, the wrong crowd, so to speak. 
He had come close to serving some time for a jail sentence. He had indicated that by the marks on his body and the rings in every orifice of his face and nose and he, that he was not exactly um, super keen on the word authority. And uh, he had had a mishap, so dozens of them, and he was ill, and he had had so much uh, drugs in his body that his even his stomach and his bowels would not function correctly anymore. And the kid is only 21. And from the audience, this kid comes forward, walks up onto the stage, and and everybody's so thrilled. And he enters the water of baptism, and the crowd just goes quiet as he exclaims that this last couple of weeks has been transformational for him. And in spite of his rotten attitude towards his family and his father and his mother and his brothers and his family and how he's tortured them because of his anti-authority kind of attitude, he now has found Jesus Christ to be his Lord and Savior. And he repents from his sins and he says, I would like to follow my Lord and Savior in the waters of baptism. You can grab the emotion of this moment, can't you? What happened after that baptism was even just a shade more powerful. The father of that boy got up and walked forward and said, I think I have played a role in my son's life that has been anything but sterile. I'm the one who mistreated him and misused my authority in the home. And I would like to come. And I would like to ask Christ to come into my life. And I'd like to move immediately into the, the waters of baptism. And then he said this. Do you have time for one more? Do you have time for one more? My father got into the baptistry and with his son standing in the baptistry with him, publicly apologized to his son, received Christ as his Lord. And followed Christ in the water of baptism. Give time for one more. In the kingdom, there's always time for one more. There's always room for one more. And what is of major importance to me is what Jesus will say after this processional march. It's, it's extremely important. Perhaps he'll give us some indication of what this procession, this parade is all about. Maybe he'll tell us the speech. Maybe he'll tell us what the kingdom's going to be like, what the promises are going to be like. It's very interesting to see Matthew's account of this because Matthew does not claim to be a historical gospel. Luke does, but Matthew doesn't. 
So Matthew, I think, has arranged his material in chapters 21 through chapter 25 in an extraordinary way because he puts things in the passage between 21 and 25 that begin to explain the kingdom of God. The first thing he says is, Jesus cleans the temple. He winds up in chapter 25 with the parable of the ten virgins, the five foolish and five wise. It would seem to me that the procession and the parade... And when the king gets up to actually speak and he starts to talk about it, the first thing he's going to lay on us is the fact that his kingdom is clean. It's pure. And those that come up there will not be in the presence of sin and manipulation. He concludes it in chapter 25 by saying, Oh, by the way, let me tell you about ten virgins. Five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. And I think when we look at that parable, the first glance is we think that's where the Boy Scouts got their motto. Be prepared. Make sure you're ready to go into the feast. I suggest to you that that's not the passage and that that may not be the meaning of the parable. I might suggest to you that the meaning of that parable is that you don't get into the kingdom on borrowed oil. Because that's exactly what the five unwise virgins wanted to do. They forgot to bring an extra supply. So they went to the five who were not foolish and said, can we borrow some of your oil? They they said, no. So they went into town, tried to get some, and came back, and the door was already closed. And Jesus says that everybody that comes into my kingdom comes in under their own oil. That's always been a long-standing metaphor for faith and the Spirit of God. But there's always time for one more. There's always room for one more. So what's the point of the procession? It was a long introduction. And you know that does not count on my total time. But today, we just have three quick points. Number one, Jesus said very quickly that all, my, all your possessions belong to the king. And that's why he said to the fellows, go get the donkey. He did enact an exercise of prerogative of royalty. It was interesting that with one word, he spoke. And the word to the guy that had the donkey didn't question it. That's the way it is in God's kingdom. Just one word brings about all kinds of things. With one word, creation came into being. With one word, the world was set in motion. God's word is so powerful. And with just a word, the donkey's released. The owner doesn't question anything. And more important, the passage really testifies to Jesus' foreknowledge. He didn't have to prearrange something with this guy. He just spoke the word. Even his disciples spoke the word for him. Matthew's making a statement not so much about possessions here as he is about Christ. That is just a word from him. And nothing else is needed. It was so powerful, this word, that even his disciples delivered it. And the man did not hesitate. The second thing is that Jesus chose to define this kind of king that he is. He was not coming as a warrior king. He was coming as a meek king, as one who was the the meek one and the one who was the, the humble servant. 
And the third point is that many of the people that Jesus were at that, at that parade did pay him some homage. Matthew specifically upgrades the Christology that Mark wanted to set out in the synoptics and says his coming not only needs, oh, not only to cries that the Davidic kingdom must be eminent, but to hailing him as the son of David. And all the crowds, although the crowds had to honor Jesus by casting something before him, blankets, branches, all of these were appropriate. But when Jesus rode that donkey, it implies his renunciation of revolutionary aspirations. The crowd's use of palm branches, which was an allusion to the Maccabean triumphs, implies that they still see him more in terms of revolutionary terms than Messiah. And many of them, a few of them, not many of them, but some of them really thought to themselves, I know this is the way it's supposed to come. It doesn't look like a great parade, but what's coming is you ain't seen nothing yet. You know what we do on Sundays? we really celebrate the parade. Maybe I think in some ways the worship service is a parade. The worship service is the procession. The king is here. And many times if we think what goes on in here is going to be like what's going to be later in the big top, some of us could say, you know what? It might be a tad disappointing. But oh, I want to tell you, we're not supposed to feature. We're not supposed to feature like this is some circus, like this is some amazing thing. God said that's going. there's going to be a day. There's going to be a day when the lion will actually lay down with the lamb. You ought to see that. That's my circus. You're going to see where people are going to get along, where there's no sin. Healing comes. Restoration there. There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. That's going to be something. You think this is good? You haven't seen anything yet. And by the way, there's still time for one more. There's room for one more. Regardless of our reaction, Jesus knew it was coming. He knew it was going to be in the big top. The praises of the masses are good, but it is the disciple who truly submits to Christ's will. Those who understand that it doesn't always have to be glamorous. It doesn't have to be a super parade. But the gathering of the saints while we're here is the issue. Many years ago, Bill Gaither wrote a song in which he declared that marketplace is empty. There's no more park or traffic in the street. All the builders' tools are silent. No more time to harvest wheat. Busy housewives cease their labor. In the courtroom, there's no debate. Work on earth has been suspended as the king comes through the gate. Happy faces line the hallway. Those whose lives have been redeemed. Broken homes he's mended. Those from prison he has freed. Little children and the aged, hand in hand stand all aglow, who were crippled, broken, ruined, clad in garments, are now white as snow. Yeah, the king is coming. 
I can hear the chariot rumble. I can hear the marching throng. And the flurry of God's trumpet spells the end of sin and wrong. Regal royals are now unfolded. Heaven's grandstands all in place. Heaven's choir is now assembled and start to sing Amazing Grace. That's what we do on Sunday. It's an indication of what's to come. When we sing together, we pray together, those are just even subsets and even lower of what's really going to happen someday. And oh, by the way, there's time for one more. As a close today, maybe you're sitting in that seat and you're saying, I've been sitting here for a while, but I've never made that commitment to Christ. And once, did it, once again, I'm here at Dillon, and I'm sitting in the parade and watching the parade today. And I want to tell you there's time for one more. I'm going to close by praying a prayer that I prayed when I first received Christ. If it expresses the joy of your heart and the desire of your heart, why don't you pray it along with me silently as I pray it out loud? Because there's always time for one more. Let's pray. This is the prayer. If it's the desire of your heart, why don't you pray it aligned with me at a time. You pray it silently. I'll pray it out loud. Lord Jesus, come into my heart right now. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you that you are the King. Thank you that you reign. Forgive my sin. Make me the person that you want me to be. Thank you that one day I can be with you. Lord, you know who prays these prayers and you know who means it from their very heart. But there are also many people here today who are believers, just like me. And Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, we've come to worship you. And I don't know if we've ever thought of it as kind of like a parade of what's coming later, but we know that there's going to be singing in heaven. We know that there will be a perfect word spoken in heaven. We know that disease will be gone, sin will be gone. Oh, Lord, may we represent in some small way, as best we know how, through the power of your Spirit, that we belong to you. Oh God, I pray that we can set aside petty grumblings because they really are petty. And that you are the star attraction of Sunday. It's not the preacher, not the deacons, it's not the singers, it's not what's on the program. You're the star of this show, Lord. You're the one who we make famous. And someday that trumpet will sound and time shall be no more. But until that day, there's time for one more. Amen and amen.